All right. Hey, good morning, everybody. If, uh, hey, thanks for one person saying good morning. It's awesome. Hey, it, no, it's too late. Hey, if you've got a copy of God's Word, would you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2? That's where we're going to be. I'll be there in just a minute. Uh, we are pushing ahead in our Advent series. Advent, just a reminder, is something that's found in a little bit more liturgical evangelical churches. And typically what they do in these churches that love Jesus and preach God's Word, they will walk through four weeks in the Advent season. Of course, Advent just means the coming of the Lord. And it celebrates not only His coming, coming, but also his soon-to-return second coming. So Advent follows these four weeks of hope first, usually first week, then peace the second week, that's this week, and then followed by that is joy, and then followed by that is love. And just a reminder, these are all needs of the human heart. If you haven't noticed yet, every one of us is looking for hope, every one of us looking for peace, for joy, and for love. And what we're saying through this series is that all of those things those really important things that we all need in various aspects, every single one of those things is fully, completely met in Jesus Christ. That's the point of this series, to lead our hearts into deeper love for him as we see him more clearly and all that he has done for us. So last week was hope, this week's peace, and it's a good thing. It's a good thing it's peace this week because we desperately need peace. We need peace in this world. We need peace in our homes, in our lives. We need peace even in our churches. We need it so badly that sometimes we just fail to see how badly we need it. In Luke chapter 2, there's this incredible scene that unfolds on a quiet, darkened hillside in ancient Judea. See, what happens is there's this chorus that erupts in praise as a group of angels, not just one, but a chorus of them, appear, and they begin to tell the poorest of the poor, the lowest of the low, the shepherds, this is the scum of the earth kind of job, they announce to them, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among whom he is pleased. Peace had arrived, and it was such a big deal that God sent a chorus. He sent an entire choir to announce it. Real peace, the kind of peace that we desperately need, found in Jesus Christ. Real peace, lasting peace, fixed and permanent peace that is found in no one else and nothing else but Jesus Christ. Listen, here's the point of today's message. Because Jesus has arrived, peace has arrived. Listen, we know we should be celebrating peace at this time of year. And we know that so basic truth, don't we? If you've been in Christ for years, you know that because of Jesus, I can have peace. I have peace because of Jesus. So then let me ask you, and I'll point the finger at me too. Well, then why don't you live like that's true, Craig? Why does it seem like Christmas is anything but peace on earth? Why does it seem like you can never still your heart long enough to consider all that Jesus has done. That's why today's message, but before that, that's why so badly we need to pray. So let me pray for us as we get into God's word. Lord, we thank you again for your word. We thank you again for the teaching and the truth that it provides us. And frankly, God, we need this one today. I need this one today in the weakness of my life in the week that was, and the bullets that just get added over and over and over, and so few scratched off, so many things to do, so many things to have done before Christmas, and then all of a sudden, pretty soon, Christmas comes and goes, and there's been so little stillness, there's been so little peace, there's been so little savoring 
of the point of the whole thing, which is you. So God, for words that convict my heart today, and for words that challenge us all today, that would draw us to a place of stillness, to a place of peace, to a place of savoring and loving and adoring you even more. Lord, for you to do that great work in our hearts, please. I was reading this morning in Luke's gospel when you had reappeared and you were walking on the road to Emmaus and you were explaining to your disciples the word and then when you disappeared, the disciples said, did not our hearts burn within us when he opened to us the word? Did not our hearts burn within us when the word of God was taught us? Can I pray for that, God? Can I pray for that for me? Can I pray for that for this room? That you would do the same thing again. Walk alongside us. By your spirit, burn in our hearts a deeper love, a deeper devotion, a deeper cherishing of you. God, would you be seen to be most precious, please? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, when I say pieces is really popular, I, I mean it because... Peace is like a buzzword. People say it a lot. They post it a lot. They desire peace. And when you think about peace, you naturally are going to think along three specific categories. You're going to think probably first about world peace, global peace, peace in Ukraine, peace in Gaza, peace in Myanmar, peace in Afghanistan. Uh, sometimes when you think about peace, you're thinking global. Sometimes when you think about peace, you're thinking about relationships with others. If I could just have peace in our church, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, and Lord, if I could just have peace in my home. Sometimes when we think peace, we think of relational conflicts that happens between spouses and kids and coworkers and neighbors. So you can think globally, you can think relationally, but you can also think personally, can't you? There's a struggle, isn't there, for stillness in the heart? There's a struggle for rest, for quiet, the battle of my heart, especially in this season that we find ourselves in, in Christmas, when I've got to make that, I've got to buy that, I've got to wrap that, I've got to sign that, I've got to invite your parents over. I don't, we, didn't we do that last year? Why do we have to do this? And there's this list, right? There's all this stuff that we've got to do, and then added to that is the regular stuff that I'm going to struggle with, like my insecurities, like my, like my frustrations, like my anger, like my anxiety, like my fear, like my sin, my never being able to turn my brain off. There's this desperate need for peace, isn't there? In my world, in my relationships, and even in me. I think even if I just had me, that'd be awesome. And I think we all understand that, that, that peace is along, along these lines is really, really elusive. You can have it and then it's gone. Our struggle is not so much getting the peace. Our struggle is actually holding on to the peace because it just slips out and all of a sudden it's gone. But what if peace, real peace, lasting peace that never leaves, never slips from your hands, what if the promise of peace is actually real? And what if you could have it always? What if there was a way that you could always turn your heart to something to bring your heart to a place of peace? Well, you know where this is going because you're smart people. God's word has the answers for us. Ephesians chapter 2, it has the only answers for us. Let me back up to our text. We'll start in 12, but let me read up here in verse 10 to set our context. Paul says this, For we are his workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
Verse 11, therefore, remember at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what's called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by the hands. And at the end of those two verses, perhaps all God's people would say, what did I just read? I mean, be honest, right? Well, let me set the stage for this really quickly. What's happened here before this verse 10 is there's been nine solid jam-packed verses where Paul has talked about how God has rescued, ransomed, and redeemed us by grace through faith. Not our own doing, all God's incredible great glory. It is God who extended to us the grace. We laid hold of it by faith. God is the one who did the work. We are the ones who in dependence and desperation reach out and take hold of it. And then in verse 10, Paul puts a bow on it, and he reminds them that just as you were created by God and then recreated by God, verses 1 through 9, now you are also done in that to live well. You're supposed to live well. In other words, God doesn't just save you for one day of your life, give you the fire insurance, and off you go. God saves you for the rest of your life, to transform your whole life. He doesn't just care about your final destination. He cares about every single step in between. And then you come to the therefore in verse 11. Therefore, because he's created you, because he's recreated you, because he's recreated you to transform you day by day by day by day, verse 11, you need to remember where you came from. It's true, isn't it? Sometimes you got to look backwards to think about how good you have it now. And he reminds them that they were uncircumcised, meaning they weren't Jewish. Most of the readers in Ephesus weren't Jewish. Circumcision was the mark in the covenant community in Israel. It was on males who were eight days old, and it signified that you belonged to the Jewish people. And here's the more important thing. It signified that you belonged to their God. Now, how does this relate to peace? Where are we going here? Well, because Paul says to the Ephesians, listen, and and by the way, so through God's word to us, that we were foreigners. We were playing for the wrong team. Remember, says Paul, that's where you were. And that was not a good place to be. We were waging war on the opposite side against God. Now look at verse 12. This is our passage. Look at the language that Paul uses. Remember, he says, that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope, And without God in the world. Okay, so today we're considering peace. We're considering the peace that is found only in Jesus Christ. And for us to do that, we need to look backwards and we need to remember, remember that when it comes to peace, our need was absolutely incredible. There's no higher need than our need for peace. You see, the reality before Jesus Christ is that you and I were separated from him. You were apart from him. The reality is, is before Jesus Christ, we were alienated from him. We did not belong to Jesus Christ. The reality is, is before Jesus Christ, more than that, you were strangers. By the way, that word there for strangers is the word for foreigner. And you'll forgive me if I relate a little bit too much to that word. Foreigner. You all know by now, unless you're new, that I'm actually an immigrant. Legit, I'm here on a visa. And though there are days when I feel like, I, you know what, I know what's going on, and I, I don't have a real detectable accent. I say some words kind of funny, like the word progress, that comes out. Uh, I try and catch that. Uh, but usually I feel like I'm fitting in. But then there are some days when I just flat out feel so lost. 
I don't know what anyone's talking about. I feel like I don't belong. Like this morning when I'm legitimately 10 minutes late because I'm traveling trapped behind a taco truck. That doesn't happen where I'm from. Okay? Or like, hey, I wake up, I step outside, it feels nice and warm outside, so then I wear a shirt for spring. And y'all are coming dressed for fall. And I realize, oh yeah, I, I, I even dressed wrong. There's days when I feel like I, I fit in, and then there's days when I feel like a stranger, to, like an alien, like far away from familiar things. Like there's a feeling like I don't belong, and like I don't have the same rights like I'm on the outside, I mean, I legitimately have something called an alien registration number, okay? Now, listen, before you start sending me emails, don't worry, Craig, it's okay, Craig, it's all right, but I'm a big boy. I understand the Lord brought me here, okay? I understand that, but, but maybe you know what that feels like, too, to be a foreigner, to be out of place, but here's what God's Word says to us. Every single one of us before Jesus was that. Every single one of us was alienated. The ESV uses that word alienated. Some Bibles use it, render it excluded. You were on the outside, man. You didn't belong. Before Jesus, you weren't in. Then Paul makes it blunt, but here's the worst part. Because you weren't in, you had no hope. Because you were fighting on the other team, you had no hope. You weren't going to win. You weren't going to gain any ground. You were going to lose. And then the worst of all, you had no hope because, because you did not have God in this world, he says. Now think about that for a second. You didn't have God. You didn't have God, and so you didn't have God's voice to lead you when you're confused. You didn't have God, and so you don't have God's care to comfort you when you're hurt. You didn't have God, so you don't have God's strength to carry you when you're weak. You don't have God's wisdom to help you when you're so confused. You, you, you don't have God's kindness and knowing his presence in your life. You don't have God's mercy knowing his forgiveness. You don't have God's love that extends so far that he would go to rescue you. Without all that stuff, you didn't have. You didn't have it because you weren't with God. You want to talk about inner turmoil. Good luck finding peace in that. Have you, ever, have you ever done that where you thought, where would I be if it weren't for Jesus in my life? You ever done that? Do you wonder where you'd be now? Do you think you'd be alive right now? Paul tells us what you were. You were Christless. You were stateless. You were friendless. You were hopeless. You were godless. Do you think you'd have the life now that you have now if it weren't for Jesus? Apart from Jesus Christ, there's no meaning to be found in this world. You want to talk about inner turmoil. You want to talk about finding peace. Good luck. You were created by God, for God, and yet you chose not to live with God. And you chose not living with God. You decided to reinvent your entire meaning. I have to find meaning and purpose somewhere. I belong to God, for God, but I'm not going to do that, so I've got to find my meaning and purpose somewhere. And so I'm going to start doing some creative writing in my life. And rather than sourcing my meaning from this God who loves so much, who, who, rather than sourcing my meaning from this God who cares for me so much, I'm going to start sourcing my meaning elsewhere. I'm going to start saying, you know what, well, I, I, I'm the accountant. That's who I am. I am the small business owner. That's my identity. I, I I'm the athlete, I'm the band geek, I'm the mom of three kids, I'm the teacher, I'm the doctor, I'm the nurse, I'm the computer guy. You start to create your own identity. You make your own tribe. You gotta find community somewhere, right? But the, the problem is, is that all you have is community. There's no peace because you're still alienated from the God who makes sense of this world. 
Isn't that the reality within all of us? Right? All of us trying to hold it together, but still no peace, still the turmoil. I want to introduce you to an island that doesn't exist anymore. This is Joixi Island. I don't know if I'm saying it right. It was built by a guy named Richard Soa. He's this eco-hermit guy who lived in Mexico. Uh, He built the entire structure out of string nets and two-liter bottles. You know, threw some mangroves in it, put a house on, on top of it, threw some sand down. Good for you, Richard. Awesome. Yeah, oh, this is what we do with plastics. Do you want to be on that thing when a hurricane hits? Do you want to be on an island made of string and two-liter bottles when a hurricane hits? Well, hurricanes did hit that thing several times. The mainland said, hey, man, your island is falling apart, Richard. Can you move it? So he moved it, and it started to come completely apart. And rather than being a a herald of eco-whatever, all the bottles and the strings started going out into the water sources. Uh, Old Richard was told to dispose of it properly, and then conveniently Richard took off, and then uh, leaving the neighbors with the mess, and so the government just chopped it all up to pieces. Paul says, bang, that's what you were before Jesus Christ. Self-made islands, nationless, adrift, trying to make sense of the world around you, but with every attempt, just trying to hold it all together standing on a raft of two-liter bottles. Watch out for those hurricanes. That's who you were before. But you understand, don't you? I say this with kindness, because it's me too. Now in Jesus Christ, that's not who we are. But we like to go back a lot. We like to center our identity on those kinds of things. We like to stand back on those rafts. We like to build everything in our lives on those rafts. And then the problem comes, of course, when the hurricane hits and someone comes and pokes the raft and the strings start to fall apart and the bottles start flying. What happens in your life when things get difficult? What happens when the sickness comes, the loss comes, the hurts come? What happens when the pain kicks in? looking for an inner stillness of the heart, looking for peace, standing on two-liter bottles. Paul says, before Christ, without God, without hope. When it comes to peace, it's much worse than you can imagine. But that's when God does something incredible. Look at me at verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus... You who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You see, when it comes to peace and the peace that Christ gives, our need was greater than we could imagine. But here's point number two for you. The cost of peace was more astonishing than you could even dream of. It was more astonishing than you can even dream of. Now, there are a lot of things with big, fat price tags in this world. I went out and, and, and did a little query of like, well, you know, what are the top five most expensive things? I think this is backdated a few years, but here's the, here's the, the fifth one. The fifth one was a, a piece of property that, that, that Jeff Bezos owns. It's a $165 million mansion in the Beverly Hills estate. 
Uh, and then there was a painting by Cezanne. Uh, it was purchased by an Emirati for $250 million. And then there was a, a mansion on the French Riviera that was a half a billion dollars. And then there was a house by the name of Antela. Uh, it's in Mumbai, India. And by the way, if you own a house that has a first name, you probably got a big house, right? So this is a big house. This is a 27-story house, not one, not two, but three helipads because, you know, you need that. And then a 50-seat movie theater, it costs $2 billion to make. And then there's this monstrosity. This is the History Supreme boat. I have no idea why this thing costs $4.5 billion, except that Jeff Bezos also owns this. Now, those kinds of numbers are staggering, right? You start to think about, you know, I can't, I can't even afford the towels in that house. Uh, you know, I can't even afford to put the, the, the picture frame or the gas to put in the boat. I can't afford this. But listen, listen, listen. Here's the truth. All of those things combined can't even scratch the combined value of how much it cost for our peace. Look again at what securing our peace cost. Verse 13 again. But now in Christ Jesus, you were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You understand that term, don't you? The blood of Christ? That means his death. We have been brought near. We have been given peace because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, gave his life for you and I. Could there be anything of higher value? Could there anything be more that, that could even come close to the worth, the purity, the value, the glory, the character, the awesomeness, the pricelessness of the Son of God? The price of peace is so incalculably high. Nothing even comes close. Some 700 years before the shepherds on that hillside, the prophet Isaiah writes these words. He says, For us, to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And when those angels sang, they were heralding 700 years later the arrival of that Prince of Peace, that the fulfillment of the prophecy had begun. And this Christmas, at Christmas, we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. And we also recognize, don't we, that the birth of Jesus Christ leads to the life of Jesus Christ, which leads to the death and to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because Advent isn't so much a coming and an arrival as it is an invasion by the King of Heaven to come and rescue us. And to beat back hell and sin and death. But for that ultimate victory to occur. The mighty God. The Prince of Peace. Needed to die for us. Now I'm a little student of history. But what I know is this. Is that, that the greater the conflict. The higher the price for victory. And listen the more precious the peace that comes. That's certainly true on a global scale. It's also true in our faith. The peace we have is precious because it costs so much. It costs more than we could understand. It costs more than we will ever understand. And it was paid, paid in full because Jesus gave his life to set you free. And we step back this Christmas and we soak that in. But then Paul pushes onwards. Look at verse 14. For he himself is our peace, 
Jesus is our peace who made us both one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility verse 15 by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two so making peace in verse 16 and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility listen when it comes to peace the need is incredible the cost is so incredibly high but the reach is also boundless it's boundless. It goes on and on and on. Oh, how incredible the peace from God. Because Jesus has arrived, peace has arrived. Isaiah set it up. The Prince of Peace is coming. 700 years later, the angels announce it. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. And then 60 years later, Paul declares it. He himself is our peace. You see, something has happened between the angels announcing and Paul writing. What that something is, is that God has done something something absolutely astonishing. God has done something astonishing through Jesus Christ. That even though we were the, the, we had offended God, that God was the offended party, even though we had all sinned against him, God chooses to fix our problems. And that's, that's amazing enough as it is. I broke something, God comes in to fix it? That's pretty astonishing. No, but it gets even greater than this. Because of the mercy that he's given to us, the eternal life by the blood of Christ, God gave this to you. For you, because of his great love. For you, because he saw you in your brokenness. For you, because he heard the pain of his people. Because he saw their lack of peace. Because our God loves you to the fullest and the final measure. And as the Son of God gives his life on the cross for your consequences and for my consequences, and then rises from the grave, you and I find peace. He goes into death. You and I get life. He gets punished. We find peace. And so we have peace with God. And that's the greatest peace possible. It's not peace that's stopping a war over here or stopping a conflict in my home or even quieting the turmoil within. It's an ending of the hostilities between God and man. And how did that happen? How did that ending come? Well, it, became, it came by the blood of his cross. And oh, loved ones, how incredible this truth is for us. That God who saw the brokenness of this world and the hurt of this world, it was God who chose to move first. It is Jesus Christ who comes for us. That's what we celebrate. And thank God he did, because when he did, on that first Christmas, he lived and gave his life for us. And because he came, peace has come as well. Now, why is that so important for us? Why is that so important? Why is it not just a truth we pick up on day one, and we're like, cool, and put it down? Why is it a truth we pick up and walk with every day of our lives? This giving of peace. Well, because when that truth hits us, the reality of the work of Christ on the cross hits us and reaches into our hearts, we begin to realize and understand all that we have done against this holy God. And yet he's still given us mercy. See, I deserve wrath and judgment, but God has given me life and hope and peace. When we begin to understand this, this peace begins to flood into our hearts. Don't you get it? This is the source of peace. Peace is found in only him. He's the source of peace. So many of us looking for peace in other places around the world, not going to be found. So many of us looking for place, peace in, in relationships, not going to be found. You know, peace isn't found on a beach. Peace isn't found on a fishing boat. Peace isn't found with a cup of coffee sitting in the back and exhaling. That's rest. Rest is good, but rest gets interrupted, doesn't it? But peace never does, at least not the peace from Christ. So many of us 
even still in Christ, struggling with lack of quiet, with anxieties, with frustrations, with angers, with, with, uh, what would happen in your life? What do you think would happen if we were to allow our hearts to soak in the peace of Christ? If we were to remember that God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, made us alive together with Christ. And remember that by grace we've been saved. That remember that, that I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. Remember, remember that I belong to him body and soul and Jesus has made me his own. What do you think would happen? What do you think can happen in a soul that stops and reflects on this? Peace. That's what happened. What do you think can happen in a relationship that's affected by someone who has savored, who has tasted, who is soaking in the peace of Christ? What do you think can happen if I begin to look at you, not out of my own frustrations, not out of my own anger, not out of my own desires even to get things from you? What if I began to look at you the way Jesus looks at me? What if I looked at you as somebody who was also purchased by Christ? How do you think that's going to affect my relationship with you if, 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 I, if I looked at someone who had been so massively forgiven by Jesus and then looked at the little drop of sin that you've done against me? What's going to happen in our relationships? Listen, when it comes to peace, this reach is boundless. It starts here and continues to go outwards. And when this peace is found, the peace that only Jesus can bring, there's healing that comes in our relationships. We begin to act in the way that Jesus did. You say, how so? Well, two very clear ways we begin to act. The first is that we take the first step, just like Jesus took the first step. I mean, who's that for today? Who is that for today? That you need to hear, listen, the broken relationships. And yes, maybe there's been a lot of brokenness against you. But you're going to step out in faith, and you're going to take the first step. Christ, the example for me, just like he did. Even though I've been wrong, I'm taking the first step. He took the first step, but then also he... He went the whole way, right? He wasn't just born in a manger, hung around for two weeks, and then took off. Sweet, I know what it's like to be man. No, he lived his whole life. He went the distance for you. He went all the way to the cross for you. How much further do you need to go to love someone like that? But listen, I'll tell you this right now. It's not possible. You're not going to do it if you're not drinking deeply of the peace he gives Soak up the ocean of love and forgiveness in Christ. It's a small thing to turn around and pour peace onto someone else. That's what verse 14 is actually talking about. You see verse 14 again? For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility. That dividing wall of hostility, yeah, that's, that's there between us and God, but the context is us and other people. We're being made one and those dividing walls of hostilities are being broken down. God is so powerful that he can take a messed up person and make us a whole being. But the second evidence of God's power is that he can take messed up people who would never otherwise get along, who would never otherwise be associated with one another, and then drop them all into church, put them in a community, get people together in peace, and make for a supernatural unity that would never happen. What's happening? What's happening here? Well, how does that happen? Well, because once you've seen what Jesus has done for you and you begin to see yourself in your brokenness and all that's been forgiven you, the need was so great and the cost so high, you begin to turn around and you begin to love others. You begin to pour peace and see them with the same eyes that Christ has. 
It's like ripples on a pond. This is how peace comes about, right? It doesn't stop with me. It goes out to my family. It goes out into the world. The reach is boundless. You understand, right, that the peace from Christ is very different from any of the peace that the world can give, these counterfeit offers. The peace from the world is very, very, very slippery because at some point, the beach vacation kind of has to end or you go broke. At some point, the light kind of goes down and you can't really fish anymore. At some point, you kind of run out of coffee or it gets cold or the kids find you hiding in the closet with the coffee. I mean, at some point it ends. Listen, that's rest. And rest is good. Taking a break is good. But the soul needs more than rest. The soul needs more than rest. The soul needs stillness. The soul needs peace. But we can't generate it. We have to get it from him. Peace is given by the Lord. We need the real, lasting, authentic peace. We need it from God. And apart from him, we can't find any meaning or purpose or value. We're alienated from God. And apart from God, there is no peace. Apart from God, there's only hostility between God. And that hostility is so great, we need a peace even greater. The cost of that peace is so awesome, so incredible, so glorious, so much more valuable than we could even imagine. Jesus gave his life for me. And when that first step is taken by him, the peace begins to flood into my heart, still the storms of my life, and the anxieties, and the fears, and the brokenness, and the frustrations, and the angers, and the confusion, all of them given to him. And then we can say it as well with my soul. Jesus said these words in John's gospel. Near the end of his public ministry, he said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Then he says this, right in the end of it. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Loved ones, I don't know where you are this Christmas. Troubled hearts, maybe. My heart, this week, troubled. Sinfully troubled. Is your heart in that place? The answer, the pathway back is, Lord, here I am on this raft again. I got to get out of here. I got to go back. I got to soak again in the peace that you give. Do not let your heart be troubled. I leave my peace with you, says Jesus. Peace between God and man because of me, says Jesus. Peace between man and man because of me, says Jesus. And peace that reaches down deep into your very soul because of me, says Jesus. And then when that happens, and that begins to wash into our lives, and we begin to refocus again on the thing, the one who truly matters, we step back with the angels, and we start saying things like, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Peace has arrived because Jesus has arrived. Let me pray.